1: Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to an all new season of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. This season, we're diving into some of the most unusual missing person cases, from the shocking disappearance of Charlie Ross, to the American Dyatlov Pass disappearances.
0: Hello welcome to this True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Leeds. Today, we're continuing our series, Shit Out of Luck, How the Eagle Bomber Was Finally Captured. First, we'd like to thank our sponsor of Visit Poddex.com. Use promo code TCNS for 10% off your first purchase. And now let's begin. When a brilliant mind is used for doing something bad rather than good, the consequences that follow could be extremely damaging or even fatal. Furthermore, when that very same mind has undergone a physical, psychological experiment, where some participants came out altered on many levels, it could be assumed that it might have been a contributing factor for how Theodore Ted Kaczynski would later become known as the Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski was known to be wise beyond his years. He was said to have been very quiet and didn't socialize much. Through the eyes of his younger brother David, Ted was extremely awkward and withdrawn, recalling times where Ted would run up to the attic to hide when house guests House guests would arrive. Their mentor once told David never to abandon Ted because that's what he fears the most. She believed his odd behavior stemmed from being hospitalized as a baby for several days, feeling as though that had caused Ted to have deep-rooted abandonment issues. Also described as hyper-intelligent, he was academically more advanced than his peers. Before he would ever turn 16, Ted was accepted to Harvard University on a scholarship. Whether he is ready for it or not, he soon found himself as a young freshman at a top Ivy League school. While there, Ted happened upon a psychological experiment under the hands of Dr. Henry Murray, a Harvard professor who had previously trained spies for the CIA during World War II. The participants of the Murray experiment had gotten very little information as to what the experiment entailed apart from what was worded in the announcement for volunteers, which stated, Would you be willing to contribute to the solution of certain psychological problems, part of an ongoing program of research in the development of personality, by serving as a subject in a series of experiments, or taking a number of tests, average about two hours a week. Through the academic year, at the current college rate per hour, without any warning about the severity that the test subject would endure. Ted decided to volunteer. At the beginning of the experiment, Ted and 21 other participants were asked to write an essay on their philosophy of life. Once the essay was turned in, Murray took each subject into a brightly lit room and sat them in front of a one-way mirror with electrodes attached to their heads to monitor their responses. To what would come next, thinking they'd be debating their points of view, the subjects were instead Met with demeaning high stress. An in intense interrogation it was reported that the intent was to catch them by surprise, to deceive them, and to brutalize them. To preserve their anonymity, the 22 undergraduate participants were only referred to by code names. Kaczynski was referred to as his code name, Lawful. While being taped, they were systematically destroyed with the information they had provided in their essay by a law student who had been prepped to inflict the abuse. Their ideas and values were ridiculed, and they were torn down to their wit's and Session after session, they were challenged, humiliated, and forced to watch their character be degraded through playbacks of previously taped sessions, all in an effort to push them to their breaking point. Murray himself referred to the subject's questioning as vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive attacks. The experiment was aimed at exploring how far a person could withstand interrogation, but it proved to be mind altering and damaging to a number of human test subjects. Some believed that this was the cause of Ted's hostility towards technology. He'd even let her state with certainty that it was in 1962 that he'd become against it. The same year the experiment ended, in the year Kaczynski graduated from Harvard. After Harvard, Ted attended the University of Michigan, where he earned a doctoral degree in mathematics after receiving his PhD. He went on to teach at the University of California, Berkeley for a short period of time, and eventually moved to Great Falls, Montana in 1971. It seemed he had wanted to get away from the world, becoming a recluse, living in a cabin he built on a piece of the land that he and his brother David owned. The cabin only measured 10 by 12 feet, had no telephone, heat, electricity, or running water, and his closest neighbor was 10 miles away. After Ted would not allow David to build a home for himself on the shared property in Great Falls. Dave ended up building a cabin in a secluded part of western Texas, Bree lived for eight years, and would correspond by mail with Ted frequently during this time. When later interviewed, David reported that he saw his time away from society as more of a spiritual journey and a time for self-discovery, whereas Ted viewed his time in isolation as all about getting away from the collective myths of the modern world. David explains, You could call the difference between us one between the left brain and the right brain. Ted was hyper analytical. It's curious that he rejected technology because his way of thinking was very scientific, very binary. Alone as he wished, Ted now spent most of his time borrowing books from a local library and began writing a manuscript that would later become known as the Unabomber Manifesto. Some time went by, and in 1977, he began writing rage filled letters to its parents, claiming that they never loved him. A year later, Ted relocated to the city where he took a job at his brother's factory. In Chicago, the move wouldn't last long as Ted began harassing a woman at work, going so far as to write lewd and offensive rhymes about her on the walls of the factory. David was forced to fire Ted. While his work at the factory came to an end, Ted was just getting started, terrorizing the country. In May of 1978, during Ted's time in Chicago, the first of many of his packages was sent. The prototype was found at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and then brought to Northwestern University, located just outside of Chicago. The address on the package indicated it could be returned to one of the professors there. The package detonated at Northwestern University, injuring a security guard. Kaczynski's revolution against the industrial system was underway. One year later, in May of 1979, Kaczynski would send another bomb to Northwestern this time injuring a graduate student. Once down the road, another package containing a bomb exploded in a cargo hold on an American Airlines flight, causing injury to 12 on board. With three bomb incidents and no suspect, federal investigators created the task force dedicated specifically to the airline case. On June 10th, 1980, another bomb was detonated at the home of the president of United Airlines. Percy Wood, whose home was near Chicago with a second airline-related bombing. The federal task force now included members of ATF. And the U.S. Postal Inspection Service was called Unibomber, which was an acronym that stood for University Airline Bombing. as those were the primary targets, eventually the task force was so large it had 150 full-time investigators, analysts, and others working to try to find the Unibomber. His work was refined as parcel after parcel went out. Each was made with scrap materials and with great precision, making them extremely difficult for investigators to trace over the years to come. More explosives were sent to people who had ties to universities in the aero tech industry, some to their homes, others to their workplace, which included 1981, the University of Utah, 1982, Vanderbilt University and the University of California at Berkeley. In 1985, the second explosive was sent to the University of California at Berkeley, along with a Boeing company in Auburn, Washington, and the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. On December 11th, 1985, Unabomber would send his first fatal package to a computer store in Sacramento, killing the owner, Hugh Scruton. Following that Peter's store was another in Salt Lake City on February 20, 1987. Another package was sent and received by store owner Gary Wright, who was injured in the attack. Wright's case would finally give authorities some kind of lead. An eyewitness was able to give a vague description of the person who might have delivered the package, providing investigators with a sketch of a possible perpetrator, a man in a hooded sweatshirt with sunglasses, Though it was not much, the sketch would be widely distributed to the public. In hopes of getting more information for years, investigators had searched in vain for anything they could find in the recovered bomb components and tried to mine the victims' lives for any details that might help reveal the Unabomber's identity. The Unabomber's attacks went silent for a while, and he wouldn't reemerge for another several years. At this point, David was in a relationship with a woman he was planning to m- marry, and in 1989, Ted ceased all communication with David. Because he had a problem with his relationship, David had refused to call off his wedding, which was reportedly the reason Ted had cut all ties with his brother. The bombings continued in '93, and were targets based at the University of California in San Francisco and Yale. The Union bomber's next fatal attack took place on December 10th, 1994, after a bomb was sent to the home of advertising executive Thomas Moser in North Cadwell, New Jersey. And on April 24, 1995, he'd send his final fatal bomb to the president of the California Forestry Association, Gilbert P. Murray, who was killed in the Sacramento office. Still unable to calculate his methods, investigators would soon learn that the Unabomber's victims were chosen completely randomly from library research. Within the same year, the case broke open when authorities received a 35,000-word manifesto from the Unimomber, which explained his motives and his take on the problems in society. After heavily debating the moral and safety implications of publishing the letter for the public, FBI Director Lewis Free and Attorney General Janet Reno approved the manifesto appearing in the Washington Post and the New York Times in hopes that someone could identify the author. Following the manifesto's publication, thousands of readers suggested new suspects, including David, who feared that the manifesto had a similar writing style to his estranged brother's previous work. David's new wife, Linda, was the one who noticed the similarities in the writing style and informed him. When David came to terms with the possibility that the main man reigning terror on the nation might be his older brother, Ted was left conflicted by this new reality. One of the biggest dilemmas about coming forward was how their mother would feel about him doing so. Linda helped David work through the emotional turmoil on deciding to reach out to the authorities, which he eventually did. He provided federal investigators with letters and documents that Ted had previously written for linguistics experts to analyze after comparing and scrutinizing the samples supplied by David with the Unabomber's Manifesto. Experts were overwhelmingly sure that Ted Kaczynski could be the pulp culprit. Furthermore, they learned that Ted had worked at the University of California at Berkeley, with two of the bombs were placed. Years after his departure and during the early parts of the um of spree, combined with certain facts comparing the nature of the bombings with Kaczynski's life and beliefs, along with analyzing those documents, was enough for the courts to issue authorities a search warrant. On April 3rd, 1996, Investigators were ultimately led to Ted's Montana cabin, where they found huge amounts of evidence that could be used to get a victim. The unit Bomber was finally caught. After arresting Ted, investigators continued to comb through his property. The evidence they collected from inside his cabin included a large supply of bomb components, one live bomb, and 40,000 pages of handwritten journals that include bomb-making experiment descriptions of the unit Bomber's crimes and descriptions of the targets. In one of his pieces of writing, he said of his killings, my motive for doing what I am going to do is simply personal revenge. They also found drafts of his manifesto. Ted Kaczynski was brought into court in California and New Jersey, as these were the locations of his three fatal attacks, being charged on 13 counts of bombing and murder. He pleaded guilty in hopes of avoiding the death penalty, but was rejected by Justice Department officials before the trial, Ted was suspected of trying to commit suicide in prison and underwent a psychiatric evaluation. The judge his competence to conduct his own defense at the trial of a government psychiatrist, and the attorneys on both sides came to agree that Kozinski was competent to stand trial and that he had the right to re- represent himself in court. His lawyers wanted to claim that he had the delusions of a schizophrenic. On January 22, 1997, Ted pleaded guilty to being the Unabomber. He was not allowed to represent himself without his attorneys throughout his trial. He refused to show any sign of remorse. On May 4, 1997, Kaczynski was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole or release. in is his house in an isolated cell in a Supermax prison in Colorado. To this day, which has been well over 20 years after numerous letters and cards, David has yet to hear back from Ted seemingly because he felt so betrayed. Reportedly, when Ted found out that David was the one who identified him to federal federal authorities, he said that's impossible. David loves me. He'd never do that. David cleared the air with his mother and finally told her that he turned his brother in, to which she replied, I know that you love Ted. You wouldn't have done that if you haven't had to leave. David, feeling reassured about his decision, even still, Every so often, David continues to write his brother to let him know that he's always welcome to reach out. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. Visit us on Twitter, uh, right up there, True Crime NS, and you can find us on Instagram, True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you
1: tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at True Crime NS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash True Crime Never Sleeps slash message. Tune in next week for an all new episode.